real quick, uh, briefly, uh, August uh, 27th, we're celebrating 10 years uh, as a church. Um, and uh, actually, our, our drummer this morning, he's going to hate me for doing that, but <laughs> uh, Chris Son, he's here uh, sitting in. But he was, he was there. He, hel- he helped us uh, get, get started, set up our website for us and uh, stuff like that. And so just so thankful for 10 years um, that, we, that we're in existence now for 10 years and, and uh, that there's just been a lot that has happened that God has done. And so what we're asking for is, is, is people who are... Uh, uh, who've been here for a while, uh, perhaps, and maybe you uh, know some stories, good stories, hopefully, maybe not some of my, some of my bad sermons uh, there in the early days, um, of, of which there, are, there, there's, there might be a few of those, but um, uh, if you, you have some stories you want to share or a story you'd like to share uh, with us about the church, we'd love to hear from you, and somehow we'll be putting that into how we talk about what's going on at Outward Church here, what's happened um, and so you can do that at uh, outwardchurch.com forward slash 10. And so uh, that'll be August 27th. want to encourage you to be here. Make plans to be here. Um, and uh, we'll have a barbecue afterwards and all kinds of craziness probably out in this area here, uh, God willing. And so that'll be great. And hopefully we uh, don't see any rain that day. So um, we'll see. Uh, and then secondly, um, over the, this summer, we've been talking about the, the kingdom of God through this series called Divine Paradox, um, uh, talking about life and God's kingdom. And so uh, there's been some books that have been influential on me other than the Bible. Um, and so uh, three of those books are uh, The King Jesus Gospel by Scott McKnight, um, How God Became King from N.T. Wright, and then also... Um, uh, this beautiful mess, or the beautiful mess, um, from Rick McKinley, and there's probably a litany more. I think I've read about ten or more books on this, or at least pieces of them. And so, um, I, I I really think that this has been an important series for us. It's it's been an important series for me. I'll tell you why, and that is because um, throughout my uh, the the ministry that I've I've had the privilege of being a part of through our church and. And other things. My focus has been primarily on salvation. How do I get saved, and how do I tell other people on uh, about how to get saved? And there has been less focus, perhaps, on uh, what's the resulting life of having being been saved. It, it doesn't mean that we didn't encourage people towards holiness and righteousness and in, in their lives and to live godly lives. I mean, of course, you've been here and you've heard those things and things of that nature. But there has been less focus on what Jesus has had to say uh, throughout the Gospels, what, what he actually said, what he want, how he wants us to live. And in some ways, I, and perhaps you as, as well, have said, um, yes, but that's unattainable because that's Jesus. And so, you know, I just go on and I live life. And thank you for the Gospel. Uh, thank you for the cross, Jesus, because now I don't have to live like you did, which sounds completely antithetical to what the, the scriptures are actually saying. And so uh, what we have been doing is we've been talking through uh, what it actually looks like to live for Jesus. And really, what is this concept of the kingdom of God? Because I really believe that it is the overarching theme over the scriptures that God's kingdom uh, it has been, uh, it was established in the garden, uh, it was um, uh, torn down in some senses, 
uh, through the sin of Adam and Eve, and then all that we've seen is darkness. Jesus comes to uh, reveal his kingdom again, and then our role as a result through the power of the Holy Spirit is to carry out his will and reveal uh, his kingdom as he is building it. And so what does that look like for us? What is our role in this? And so where we go wrong oftentimes is that we believe that uh, Christianity is about me and what, what God can do for me, how I can self-actualize with the help of the Bible, how I can become who I'm supposed to be, how can, how, how can I be the most successful person possible um, using Jesus as my uh, moral guide, if you will. And so what we see from the scriptures, though, is that that's not really what Jesus had in mind. He's not looking for self-actualization. He's looking for uh, God's actual actualization in your life. And in fact, when you're following Jesus, the reality is, is that life might get harder for you, not easier. Uh, and in fact, I do believe that it will become harder for you. If you're living out the kingdom of God in the way that God has called you to live out his kingdom, what's going to be apparent is that you are going to uh, come to odds with our world. And so we're going to be picking things up here shortly, uh, uh, a little ways down. Let me see what verse I'm going into. Verse 10 is where we'll be picking it up. But uh, basically, let me just kind of give you an example. Verse 10 says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus is saying here, he's saying like, if you're going to be somebody who is a part of my kingdom, if you're somebody who really has relationship with me, then what's going to be true of you is that uh, persecution is probably going to come in your life at some point or another. In fact, I would say that it will come in some form or another. Now, persecution uh, that we experience here and now um, is probably going to be uh, pretty low-key in comparison to what you see on uh, persecution.com, which is, uh, you know, the Voice of the Martyrs um, website. And it talks about various people, you know, uh, um, uh, a Christian man who was put in jail for 15 years in, in Iran uh, just recently. That was one of the first stories that I read just, uh, just this last week. And so there's people who are, uh, for his faith, by the way, there are people who are actually dealing with real and tangible persecution. What we're dealing with today in America is different. It is different. And too often what takes place is that we cry foul and we get upset, but that's not what Jesus is, is calling us to do. But where is this, uh, where is this so-called persecution coming from. What we see in our world and in politics today are these fault lines that are growing. I mean, we knew that there was a separation between this, uh, you know, evangelicalism and the secular world, but that fault line, if you will, is, is growing, and it's continuing to grow, and it's growing by the day, and it's growing rapidly. I believe in part it's because of uh, the internet um, that this is taking place because ideas can be shared and, and thoughts and feelings and people can separate themselves into different camps more easily. They, they don't have to necessarily be in a camp with someone that they disagree with because you can just go find you know, some group online that you agree with and you can all just espouse the same ideas and just grow in that. But it hasn't always been that way. Through the 80s and 90s, we've talked about this 
occasionally there was something called the moral majority. You may know about it if you're a little bit older, but the, throughout the 80s and, and 90s, there was the moral majority. And what it was, it was, a, it was a, the evangelical wing of the Republican Party. And in many ways, it really was the power behind the Republican Party. And as you can tell the, by them saying the moral majority, we are the ones who are right and we wield the power of all of the churches and we stir them up to go and vote for the things that we believe that Republican politics should be about because this is, this is what's moral and this is what is not. And so there has been, in large part, uh, a lot of uh, power uh, that the Republican Party and, 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 and by virtue of that, uh, the uh, e- evangelicals as a result But recently, what's been happening is this, is that uh, evangelicals are increasingly becoming seen as irrelevant and extreme, as Gabe Lyons has said in his his newer book, uh, Good Faith. And so we've become irrelevant and extreme as a result. And what's taking place is that people are continually looking at us and they're saying, man, I, I dislike the views that you have. And I, and, I, and I don't like what you're doing, and I don't like what, you, what you're uh, talking about. And so uh, you see this fault line grow even more as uh, the president just this last week, I think it was on Wednesday, sent out a tweet saying, we're no longer going to allow transgender people to be in the military. And so what took place, uh, how that happened, one article says, uh, who knows whether this is exactly true or not, but apparently that happened as a result of some evangelical ministers, his evangelical crew that he has come advise him, came and said, you know, we want you to, to do this. And so he sends out a tweet and, and uh, uh, makes an edict that this should take place. And so people are up in arms and now everybody knows, okay, all the evangelicals are against transgender people. And so you see this more, this fault line continues to grow and continues to grow and grow and grow. There's an article not too long ago in the New York Times um, called Googling for God. And it uh, says this. It says, It has been a bad decade for God, at least so far. Despite the rising popularity of Pope Francis, who was elected in 2013, Google searches uh, for churches are 15% lower in the first half of this decade than they were during the last half of the previous one. Searches questioning God's existence are up. Many behaviors that he, God, supposedly abhors have skyrocketed. Porn searches are up 83%. For heroin, it's 32%. How are the Ten Commandments doing? Not well. Love thy neighbor is the most common search with the word neighbor in it. But right behind at number two is neighbor porn. The top Google search, including the word God, is God of War, a video game with more than 700,000 searches per year. The number one search that includes how to and Walmart is how to steal from Walmart, beating all questions related to coupons, price matching, or applying for a job. So not only are we losing in some senses in the public sphere, at least as far as secular society is concerned and what they, what they believe about evangelicals and, and, and who we are, but uh, we're also losing the, uh, the, the, the thought battle, in a sense, that people are not questioning who God is, and they, or they are questioning who God is, and they're, they're not really searching for him as much as we thought uh, that they were. But then in addition to that, 
it's just continuing to grow. It's continuing to grow. The fault line is growing. And our culture is becoming uh, more at odds with who we are. In fact, uh, there is a philosopher by the name of Charles Taylor. And uh, this is something that he says about current culture in his book, uh, The Secular Age. He says this. This is what he means by uh, the secular age. He says, I mean the understanding of life which emerges with the romantic expressivism of the late 18th century. That each one of us has his or her own way of realizing our humanity. And that it is important to find and live out one's own as against surrendering to conformity with a model imposed on us from outside by society or the previous generation or religious or political authority. And basically what he's saying, Trevin Wax says about that statement there, he says that this is basically talking about nonconformity. What's our world thinking about? What is, what is it about? What is the ethos of our culture? What are they saying? What do they believe? What's the lens that they look through? And it is nonconformity. We're not conforming to anybody in these ways, Trevin Wax points out. Imposition from the outside. No one can tell you what, should, uh, what you should make. Uh, no one can tell you what you should make of your life. No one, no one can tell you. No one can speak into that. He also says imposition from society, conformity to societal expectations must be resisted. Imposition from the previous generation and past generations. You know, we'd say, you know, let, let's look at our forefathers. Let's read Abraham Lincoln or somebody else who is, who, who is great. Let's learn from them. Let's learn virtue from them and understand how they were a great person. But now it's like we're going to reject that. We reject that from the previous generation. And then number four was imposition from religion and politics. Uh, religion and politics have become foes. Unless, of course, it's, uh, there, there is something that's infringing on your rights. And then you become somebody who is for government in, in, in these ways to guarantee your rights. And so our culture is very much rooted in this idea of this age of authenticity. You've got to be who you are, and you've got to be somebody who is only going to uh, do, uh, do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want it, with no one imposing on you who you are. And, and so that line of thinking, which says that you are in charge, you are Lord, you are the one who should make all of this, the decisions, is at great odds with the idea that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King. You get that? This, this idea of this, uh, what, um, what Charles Taylor calls the age of authenticity, when he says that this is what life looks like today, this is what people believe, it is at such great odds with our culture I mean, that is our culture, and what we believe is at such great odds with our culture today. And so we have a massive hill to climb in some ways. So when we go into the culture and we say, you know, Jesus is my king, don't impose that on me. Religion is for you and for you alone. It's not for me. If you even speak of it, you're gone. And so what do, what do we see in our world today? If you espouse views that are consistent with the scriptures, if you read the scriptures and you follow the way of Jesus, and when it comes to whatever it is, life, 
the, the way that you deal with sexuality, your own sexuality, the way that you uh, decide how you're going to manage a business or, or how you're going to view uh, other people in your life. When, 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 though, when you're looking at those things, if you espouse those views, you are on the outside. And increasingly, this is what this means. That if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to be a part of his kingdom, if you're going to be somebody who is about Jesus and his way, you're increasingly going to experience what he calls persecution. You're going to experience that. And so what we've been talking about over the last uh, couple of weeks, and each week I've intended to get all the way through this and have not made it uh, for the last uh, three weeks, I think it's been. And so we'll see uh, how today goes. But um, Jesus began teaching them, and he's giving them his manifesto. And what he's saying is he's, he's saying this, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit are people who have this humility, There's a dependence on God saying, I cannot figure this out on my own. I can't do it on my own. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In a world that's looking to get out of mourning so much and pain so much so that we will take drugs at the drop of a hat, the opioid epidemic is a witness of that. The rampant use of prescription drugs in some ways, and I'm not excluding all prescription drugs. Some of those are a blessing from God. But what I am saying is that we have tried to escape mourning. But Jesus says the exact opposite of what our culture says. Our culture says if you mourn, you're not flourishing. And Jesus says if you mourn, you will be comforted. And there will be flourishing that comes to your life. And then he says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the world. And what's he, what's he saying? He's saying that it, instead of you being this self-willed, aggressive American, instead of that, you be somebody who comes in with this level of humility. You be somebody who comes in with an incredible strength, and yet you choose not to use that strength to domineer people or to throw your weight around. And so what we're seeing is we're seeing a character of dependence upon God. God is the one who goes before me. God is the one who who does this. God is the one who takes care of me. He's the one who provides for me. So if you leave me or if you uh, walk away and you choose not to use my business or, or what have you, I don't have to lie to make things happen for me because God is the one who goes before me. I don't have to make it take place. And then he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. All of these that I've just talked about right now are all about dependence upon God. And then last week, what we said was this, is that he says, blessed are are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And what does this mean? This means that there is a response to this dependence upon God. There is a response to depending upon God which says, God has been merciful to me, and so I'm going to be merciful to others. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That God has been merciful to me. He is pure. He is righteous. He is holy. And so therefore, in my own life, I want purity of heart. I want purity. And so what that means is that TV shows and things that that are in my life that, that bring about impurity need to go. Instead of just saying, I'm a salvation Christian, say, I'm a life of Jesus Christian. Yes, Jesus went to the cross to pay for sins. He went to the cross to pay for sins, to enable me to live the life uh, that he has called me to in his kingdom. 
And so what that means is that I'm more than a salvation Christian. I'm more than just salvation. I am somebody who's saying, I'm not only saved eternally, I'm saved right here and right now, even from my sinful impulses. And so he goes on and he says, blessed are the peacemakers. We talked last week about how it's, the difference is, is, is between peacekeepers and peacemakers. We're people who, are, who bring people together. We reconcile. We bring reconciliation, not just between people, between races, between people who have fights and arguments and things of that nature. But we're also peacemakers between people and God. We get to be people who represent Christ and say, I want to tell you about the greatest gift that has ever come, and it is in Jesus Christ. And you can have peace with God in and through this. It's an amazing, amazing thing as a result. And so we bring about peace in our culture. We're not argumentative. We're somebody who's in our culture, uh, I'm sorry, in our job, believing that we are somebody who is there to be healing what's happening. We're there to bring reconciliation between people. We're, we're there to be a buffer in those things. But then he goes on in verse 10 and says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now what is this? What we've been talking about is dependence, and then the response to that dependence as a result, and now this is the reaction. What's the reaction? What's going to come as a result of a life that is not only dependent upon God, but responds to that dependence in mercy and peacemaking and purity of heart and things of that nature? What is going to be the reaction? How are we going to react with that? Well, first of all, what is very likely to take place is that there are some things, some aspects of life that we cannot sit in agreement on. If you're somebody who works at the state today and you were to, and you were to hold a biblical view on sexuality of any kind and gender, God as creator, creating the male and female, his intent being uh, truly seen in that. And yes, uh, the creation is distorted in some ways because of our fallen nature. And people have desires and they don't feel like this or that. But we understand it to be that this is God's design and we should operate in that. If you espouse that view, what's the reaction going to be? If you hold to purity, what's going to be the reaction? Well, it's very likely that you're going to lose your job. You're not going to be considered for a promotion. You're going to be somebody who's going to lose. You're, you're going to lose. You're going to lose your business. Uh, the state has already proven that they can take businesses from people who disagree with this. Whether you agree with uh, how that went or not, the state has proven that you, you, you cannot have freedom of thought. You cannot have freedom of speech in any way. In this. This is what our state has approved. But if you're somebody who's aligned yourselves with the kingdom of God, and when the kingdom of God is revealed in your life as a Jesus follower to the fullest extent possible, the result is often going to be persecution. And the problem, though, is this is that people believe that somehow the kingdom of God is where everything's going to be perfect. That the kingdom of God is going to be like when I feel completely fulfilled and I'm self-actualized. I should not even say that word anymore because I cannot say it. All right? This is, this is horrendous. But 
It's the age of authenticity. This is who I am in this age, right here and right now. Our culture is in full disagreement with us, and people don't realize that are in the church that if you're going to follow Jesus in its fullness, if you're going to be a Jesus follower in that sense, that you are going to be somebody who experiences persecution. And the question is, are you willing to experience persecution for Jesus? Are you willing? He says, blessed are those who are persecuted, not just for being a Christian, although that may happen, but it's for righteousness' sake. It's standing on principle. It's standing on principle with all of these other things that we talked about, poor in spirit, this level of humility, this level of meekness, this level of dependence upon God. This is who I am. Jesus went to the cross for me. I can do nothing else but be in agreement with him. And I want you to know that I love you and I care about you no matter where you are, no matter what you feel. I love you. I care about you. I know that God loves you and cares about you as well. But I cannot be in agreement with where you are. And people regularly, regularly walk away from righteousness in these things and they just say, they agree with them because this is culture. This is culture. This is, this is who culture is. And to, to disagree would be a complete disruption to your life and to my life. You will lose your job. You will, you will and, and certainly work is probably the biggest thing right now, but you will lose relationships. You will lose all kinds of things. I have found myself believing throughout the last 10 years I was such an arrogant jerk, um, and, I, and I'll bet you I still have, uh, have moments and, and times when, I, when there's arrogance and pride, but my arrogance and my pride showed up in my thinking that somehow our church was going to be better than all the other churches. Every church planner thinks that. Why else would you plant a church? Like, I mean, we need another church, don't we? I mean, they, I, I could do this much better than everybody. So there's a level of arrogance in, in, in probably everybody that plants a church, but God has something else in mind. And so as I started uh, this church with a, a group of other people, what I believed was this, is that I had this hardline idea that the reason why the culture doesn't accept us is because those people, the moral majority, whatever you want to call them, have been advocating for politics. They've been, um, they've been advocating for this hate and, this, and all of this other stuff. And if we could just show them that, yes, we hold to a biblical ethic of morals and standards and righteousness and sexuality, and yet we are cool people um, who will cook you a steak and drink a beer with you and we'll you know, sit and talk about life. And if they could just see that I'm different than those fundamentalists because Jesus is actually the one who's bringing wine to parties and yet people, so many times, the fundamentalists are saying, uh, no, that's, that's all about fundamentalism and that's, and that's, and, and, and that's all uh, wrong and you shouldn't be a part of that. And so I, I have said in my, in my head, you know, we are going to be different. We're going to act differently in this way. And yet it doesn't work because at the same time uh, that I have said those things and I've tried to act in that way, as soon as they find out that I hold to a biblical ethic, they're gone. I had a long conversation with a, a friend, a really good friend of mine who is uh, homosexual today. He was in ministry for a number of years and, he, and, and I love him. I mean, he, I, 
I mean, I don't, I don't know what it is, but I love the guy like a brother. And I just, I, I hurt for him and where his life is because I've seen how he's, I mean, he, honestly, he was uh, mistreated by some people in a church. I don't know all the details of that, but if what he said was true, I think he was mistreated. I love the guy immensely. I'm friends with him on Facebook and, and things, but I, I wanted to talk with him because I, I just, I wanted to talk with a close friend about what it means uh, to be a Christian, disagree with that lifestyle, and yet love them and even have compassion on them because I am just as sinful as they are. And I need Jesus immensely because I am a sinful individual. Our sin is just different in type, but it's not different in weight. Both of our sin uh, alienates us from God. And so I came into this conversation with my friend and I said, I, I, you know, I love you, I care about you. I don't hate people who are homosexuals or transgender or what have you. I love these people and I just want you to know that. And, and so the conversation went on and it went to, but Matt, do you disagree fundamentally with this lifestyle? Are you trying to keep us from getting married to one another? And I had to finally say, man, this is the line that the scriptures say and I have to agree with that. But that does not mean that I don't love you. But he never heard anything after but. He never heard that. All he heard was that I disagreed. All he heard. And that was the last conversation and, and communication was cut off. And it's, it's wounding. It's wounding. Because I love this guy so much. And I want him to see the truth and the life that is in Jesus Christ. I want him to experience Jesus in his fullness. I want him to experience Jesus in a way that says this, that I am going to give up some of my deepest desires because Jesus says that they're sinful. Because the scriptures, because God communicates that this is not a part of his universe. He did not create things this way. He is the one who has condemned those things. And so I, just like him, have to give up things that, that I say, you know, but I feel like this would just be me and I would be authentic if I just acted on these things. And yet that authenticity doing what I believe that I want to do and who I'm created to be and all this stuff ultimately leads to alienation from God without Jesus going to the cross for me. I want so badly to communicate that. But at the end of the day, if you hold to what Jesus has for you, if you hold to a biblical standard of ethics, of morality, if you hold to that, you will be persecuted. And I wonder what would happen today in our church. I wonder what would happen to us. Who would be faithful in the day of persecution? And I mean, you know, stuff that you hear about, stuff that you read about. What would take place in our church if persecution was coming for righteousness' sake? Who would still be a part of the community that is here? And who would become apostate and walk away and say, I can't agree with it because it just, it, it imposes too much difficulty on my life. Do you see what's going on? That Jesus wants you to walk away from everything that you call dear for his namesake. And you may get the opportunity to do that someday. 
in its fullness. But today, right now, have you thought about what it's going to be like? You get called into the office at work. I heard that you go to that church downtown. I heard that they're evangelicals and that that guy, although he's incredibly good looking and just stylish and stuff, like he, he teaches some really racist and bigot, bigoted things. And do you believe those things? What are you going to say? Will you say the kingdom of heaven is not about this conversation? The kingdom, the real kingdom that I'm after is not about what you provide me in uh, this earthly money, but my inheritance is in heaven. So you can take um, this job and do whatever you want with it, right? You can, take, you can take my job. You can take my position. You can take my power. But for righteousness sake, for the sake of Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm going to walk away from this. My thought has been that I can avoid being persecuted. That is not true. That is not true. If you're going to walk with Jesus, you're going to increasingly feel persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. That's, that's an incredible statement. Next verse. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Reviling is essentially mocking. When someone mocks you online, when someone mocks you at your job, when someone, when someone speaks against you in the workplace or in family or all of those things, how quick are we to no longer be poor in spirit, to no longer be meek, but to defend ourselves. Jesus went as a lamb, as a, as a sheep to the slaughter. He did not speak a word. He was somebody who went to the cross willingly, and yet we receive salvation through it. What this is saying here is this, is, is saying this is not something that's against you. This is something that is for you. It is proving that your life is rooted not in this kingdom, this domain of darkness, but it is rooted in the kingdom of his beloved son. It is rooted in the light of the world, Jesus Christ. It is rooted in something other than yourself in the age of authenticity. It is rooted in the kingdom of heaven. So when rather than having to throw up a fight, a, a great response, or those kinds of things, you are blessed. Oh, how blessed are you, some would say, when you are reviled. When you are somebody who is looked down upon, when somebody mocks you in your life, and they say, how dare you believe that I'm, you know, that I'm actually a different gender than I think that I am. Because I can think whatever I want, and I'm, I am this now. No, I, I love you, though, and I love who God created you to be. But it doesn't matter. You will be mocked. You will be mocked. It is a blessing. And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. In our world today, I was thinking just last night, if you hold to a biblical ethic of the kingdom of God, if you hold to that, 
you are a bigot and a racist, period. That's today. That's right now. That's right here. You are a bigot and a racist. And there are many, many people who believe that. And by the way, the Republican Party is uh, no safe haven any longer. Saw a Republican on TV just the other day, and, and he, uh, he did not uphold what evangelicals think that Republicans should be upholding. Not that I'm an advocate of that. That utter all kinds of evil against you, call you a liar falsely. They, they come after you and, they, and they, they lie about you. And they say, you are a, a racist because sexuality is a race. I've determined what my sexuality is and so therefore you are a racist. And yet at the same time, I can, I can be pouring out love to people who don't believe like I do, who submit to another ethic of this world and yet people will still say those things. I can have gay friends. I can have these uh, relationships with people. And yet they will lie about you. And I'm telling you, it's not just going to be uh, in uh, that one party that does it. It's going to be both parties. Our entire world is going in this direction. Lying uh, against you falsely. I'm sorry, uttering all kinds of evil against you falsely. Jesus says, on my account, on my account. You think about your life, you think about what you you say and how you act. I, I want you to put yourself in the position of you're in the moment. They're asking you the question. Or you have some type of decision to make that is gonna out you. It's it's gonna out you. And everyone's going to know what you believe. It's going to be public. And uh, what is your response going to be? It's, do you want people to speak nicely of you? Because that's on your account. I want people to say nice things about me. That's my account. I want you to put that towards my account. Jesus says, what goes towards his account what, what, is, what is in that category is when we are willing to take the hit that is coming as a result on his account. It's on Jesus' account. Are you willing to take that? Lastly, he says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I think we need to get ready for <laughs> rejoicing and being glad because my rejoicer and my being gladder is not exercised very well. I get angry. I get angry really quickly. It's why I can't really be on Facebook that much because people post articles and it makes me angry. Last night this happened and I was I really need to turn this off. It's just irritating me. It's, this guy calls himself a pastor, and yet he supports uh, all of these things that uh, the scriptures disagree with. So, how again is he a pastor? What? I, this is my. This is how. This is what I was going to write. I'll just talk about it publicly uh, in a sermon, and it'll be fine, right? 
I, and instead of rejoicing and being glad in some instances, I find myself thinking of my response. What's my response going to be to this irritation? It's going to be sarcasm. It's, it's normally what it's going to be. It's, it's going to be sarcastic. It's going to be snarky. And it's going to alienate a friendship that I have with someone that completely disagrees with me. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another, Jesus said. And I believe that that love does, does not just extend to the Christian community. It extends to people who disagree, disagree with us vehemently. Rejoicing and being glad, it says this. I'm, I am overjoyed that I have been counted worthy to suffer on Jesus' account. I'm rejoicing and I am glad that I am going to suffer for this. Our world will not understand that. But how do we walk around uh, like, I mean, are we going to walk around like a bunch of idiots, like grinning and, you just call me a, a bigot? Or That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is, is saying, there is this inner joy that comes from knowing that I'm willing to set aside and to step outside of this age, the God of this age, the age of authenticity, I'm willing to step outside of that and say, I do not agree with that. And when you come into the world and you say, I live by another standard, and it is God's kingdom that I'm concerned about, what you can believe about this. Do you know where your security comes from? Do you know what your security in Christ, that, you have, that you're walking with Jesus, that you have faith in Jesus, that you really are a Christian? It does not come because you warm a bench at church on Sundays. It does not come because of that. That may be an indicator, but it does not come because of that. It comes when you're willing to stand, take the hit on Jesus' account, and say, I'll lose my job, I'll lose everything for the sake of Christ. I'll withhold the snarky comment, I'll rejoice internally, and go into my Christian community and say, you would not believe what I got to do. I got to lose $80,000 this year because of Jesus. Yeah! What? No one's clapping. Like, this is like yeah, this is amazing. I got to lose everything on the account of Christ. Do you know why? Because he lost everything on my account. On my account. Jesus says, I went to the cross as your Savior, yes, first and foremost. But I went to the cross also as your example to show you this is the life that I want you to live now that I've saved you and I've given you the ability to do so through the power of the Holy Spirit to live for my kingdom. And who among us is willing to live that life of sacrifice? Let me tell you, what, let me tell you what's holding us back. It's consumerism. That somehow God is in your life to make your life better. Like, like I said, if you're living for Jesus rightly and I'm living rightly for Jesus, what's going to happen is we're going to lose. We're going to lose. It's no longer going to be hashtag winning. It's going to be hashtag losing and loving it, right? 
It's going to be amazing. Are we the community of faith that can walk in that way? Or are you going to walk away? Did you come to Jesus so that uh, you could be your authentic self and so that he could support you in that effort? Or did you come to Jesus so that you could take on his self? That's what the offer is at the cross. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray and ask that we would be people who are deeply embedded in our culture and who are willing uh, and able to uh, take the reproach that comes from being a Christ follower. Lord, we're asking that you would do something amazing in our lives, that you do something amazing in our church. And Lord, we're also understanding that that may come through persecution. Lord, this building may go away, but this is not the church. The, 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 the staffing may go away, and that may be a good thing because then the body of Christ must really be the body of Christ. I realize that, God, you are doing amazing things in your church here in Salem, not just in our church, but in many of the other fantastic churches in our city. But, Lord, oh, that we would experience persecution for what it is, and oh, that we would look to you and say that you are the one that we're living for. It'll be on your account that we suffer. It'll be for righteousness' sake. It'll be because your kingdom has come and is coming in its fullness. And we believe that that is the kingdom that matters and that this, these kingdoms are passing away. The God of this age will be destroyed. And the true and the living God, shown to us through Jesus Christ, and Yahweh in the Old Testament, this God, through the Holy Spirit, He is going to be all in all. He is all in all. But we will finally see that and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Whether they like it or not, they will know. They will be brought into submission. They will see that you are King of kings and that you are Lord of lords. And so, Lord, we pray for that. We pray for the realization of that. Come, Lord Jesus, may, may that be our prayer. Come into our lives. Allow us to see this. Lord, convict us of consumerism. Convict us of feeling like it is all about us realizing who we want to be. And Lord, that we would begin to realize that it is all about you showing us who we really are in you. In your name we pray, amen.